explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a T. Watts and TR edition of the Bama Online Pod. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside site publisher Tim Watts, and it is officially college football season, September the 1st, 2022. Tim, we had a few games last weekend, uh, but we got the full slate. Everybody into the pool. Starting tonight, by the way, you got Tennessee in action at home. You've got Missouri in action at home. What is your excitementometer pegged out at about right now? Scott, Scott Frost really got me going. College football <laughs> oh, jeez. It was hard to watch. I mean, I'm not a, uh, affiliated with Nebraska, but I'm affiliated with their history, obviously. And to see that game happen the way it happened, I was like, man, this could be a crazy year. I mean, it's, brutal. It's, yeah. And, and yeah, right out of the gate, you get SEC teams playing on a Thursday night, you got local school. UAB's playing ranked teams like Pittsburgh and uh, either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State play tonight. And then, of course, this weekend, I mean, you've got some, you got some haymakers. Alabama doesn't have one until next week, a big game. But, I mean, you've got, you got Ohio State and Notre Dame setting it off. So, uh, I mean, it came at you fast. I mean, I love the college football schedule. I remember we used to have to wait two or three weeks to get, you know, a pretty decent game. So, to see all these guys – um, who's Arkansas play? They have a pretty big game, right? Cincinnati. You got Arkansas, yeah. Cincinnati. You got Utah and Florida. Florida, Utah. I mean, you've got great football to get right at it. I mean, there's no uh, there's no real rest, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we've got a BOL podcast mailbag we'll get into a little bit later in the show as well. But I guess the arrival of football season means uh, we got to cut back on our shows a little bit, Tim. What have you been streaming? What have you been watching? As uh, as we start to put those down a little bit, we get into football almost every night. It seems like. Yeah, you know, we uh, I'm watching. My wife had never seen uh, Better Call Saul, and I waited a long time to see it after the uh, after the ending of uh, I'm Breaking Bad, and uh, uh, you know, it ended. It was a you know great ending, very rough ending. So we waited a while. So we're rewatching that. Finally, got to the new season. Unbelievable show. I can't believe it's even being mentioned in the breath with uh, um, Breaking Bad, but it is phenomenal. I mean, I think there'd be people that are going to argue it's better than Breaking Bad, which is a, really, which is, I think, I think so. I mean, it's a wow. bit, almost six seasons. Um, and, you know, you go so many seasons, you get sort of numb. There hasn't really been a lull in this show in the six seasons. You know, I'm not going to give any spoilers or discuss it, but it's, it, it, uh, discuss it, but it's, uh, it's been fantastic. So, uh, mainly that stuff, catching up Games of Thrones with my daughter. She had never seen it. She wanted to watch for House of Dragons. So catching up on a lot of stuff. And for me, it's stuff I've seen. So I'm able to work. I mean, you know how what all we're doing this time of year. So I'm able to work and watch at it. So I don't have to pay as much attention. But I've been Netflix documentary. I swear they put out two new murders a day. So and they're doing, <laughs> doing a pretty good job with the Netflix. And I like them because they're they tend to be 130, 140 range, one hour, 30 minutes, one hour, 140, as opposed to other people who take every story and make it a 10-part series. Every story doesn't need eight to 10 parts. Everything doesn't need eight to 10 hours. Sometimes you just tell a good story an hour and a half, so I think Netflix has done a pretty good job there. Did you watch the Monte Tao doc? I did. And Wow. 
I don't know how it felt at the end. I mean, it's certainly sympathy and, and, you know, not a lot of empathy, but definitely sympathy. And it's hard for me because I could, couldn't go two years without seeing someone I was dating. Even his own dad said that to him. Yeah. I mean, people were like, well, I just think it's where he's from. And you're right. His dad's like, no, you should have seen her. <laughs> no place in the world where we got a culture we don't see her. So, I mean, you're only also one of the the top public figures at that time in all of America. And, and I, this chick doesn't want to come see you or visit you. And I understand there was supposedly an illness involved that ultimately, I guess, uh, cost, quote unquote, her her life and those type of things. So I actually got to give a lot of credit to the uh, the person that that uh, kind of put this work together. Um because it, it does seem like they had an answer at every turn. And, you know, it also was a time when we still weren't all that Internet savvy, Tim. We sit here in, in retrospect 10 years later and say, oh, man, and I'm with you. I, I still would have had to have met this person physically or, you know, some form or fashion at some point. Um, but it, it was different 10 years ago, I guess. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I mean, the thing that got me is like there was FaceTime. Somebody's phone can run you okay. so long. And I know from, you know, having teenagers and you do too, is that if they want to talk, they'll borrow a phone and FaceTime. They will find you to talk to you. FaceTime, you know, especially at that younger 13, 14 year old age, if they can figure out a way to get in contact in the grownups can. I mean, me, my best guess is that he got fooled catfished for a while. Um, and then he knew what was happening, but dude, he was all in. I mean, he even made reference like, "How do I go on TV before the Alabama game and say I've been catfished?" And let's face it, it benefited him. It oh, benefited. it did. He was in the Heisman race that you know really had no business being in, and um, you know he was. I mean, again, he was the biggest name in sports that year, a big part of that. So, but I, the, all the drama, the talking to her every day on the bed and she's the only one you, you react to. She uh, reacts to that was too much. I'd have been like, no, that, yeah, he was, say that Facebook photo they stole. She was a smoke show. So <laughs> 18 year old. Then again, he lives in Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii. The beautiful girls are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I know the area that he comes from, it's up on the sort of Northeastern edge there of Oahu. Uh, but sure. Uh, it sounds like he went to high school in greater Honolulu or Metro Honolulu, which is uh, very much a city you know, that, you, that you would see in the United States. I, I, I can't just accept that his, his upbringing and his uh, where he lived was so isolated that, that he just didn't know any better. So, uh, also, but it's still bizarre. Yeah. He's also a teenager, early 20s away from home. So his first instinct would be to fly her out there, you know, or yeah. fly out to California to visit and all that stuff. I will say I felt better about him as a person because he owned it. And even the Alabama game, you know, tying it to Bama, everybody made excuses. You could tell he wasn't the normal Manti Teo against Alabama. You could tell he was distracted. Hell, he wasn't distracted. He's now trying to tackle Eddie Lacy. <laughs> There ain't no Eddie Lace in Army and Navy and those other schools. No, no. And him and Kenyon Drake and all that stuff, he still had a pretty solid game. But what – T.J. Yeldon, yeah. Yeah, T.J. He said – 
But when they addressed it, he said, no, I was fine. We just got beat by a really, really good Alabama team. He made no excuses. He owned it. He didn't say I was distracted. He said we got beat. So, you know, props to him for dealing with it and even doing the documentary because, you know, the next time y'all saw me on video, if that was me, I would be purple hair with covered in tattoos, hiding in, you know, <laughs> somewhere. Y'all would be having to gotcha at a bar where I was tended. So, I think, though, it may have been pitched to him. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was pitched to him as you're going to come off as this sympathetic figure because I think that's exactly what's happened in most corners. I yeah, think I think, also, I think you, you have to be almost without a heart if you don't have some lim, lim, uh, level of sympathy for this guy. But at the same time, you just opened up your your stuff to a whole new I know. Yeah. Your trolls. I mean, twenty-year-olds that saw that are like, "Hold up, what happened?" There was some sympathy for me towards him watching it, but I'll also admit I openly just laughed my ass off a couple times too, Tim. I mean, oh, I guess dude, I was like, I mean, if you didn't laugh when the the uh, the the I, I don't know if I should have felt bad about that, but I did a couple times. I mean, I just, the shock value when the the person that did this to him came out. And, you know, we'd seen the pictures. They'd set it up beautifully because he had been a a young teenager, a young athlete, the guy that tricked uh, Manti Teo. And then the next time we see him, he's a he's a he's a female. They set it up beautifully when he walked out and sat in that chair or she did. It was a it was a shock because I didn't know that was coming. You know what I thought, though? I it, thought I, I thought it was going to end with the two of them meeting in person. You know what I mean? I thought they were going to bring them together. Maybe that wasn't uh, something um, they could get agreed upon, but I, uh, that's what I was anticipating. I, that would have that would have that probably would have ruined it for me. Really? I I would have. I mean, if I'm Antio, I can't forgive somebody that did all. Well, that. yeah. If I'm Monte, I don't want to see that person. I'm sure, but I as a like viewer, you don't want to Jerry Springer him. <laughs> Let's get the, you know, the DNA test and everything going here. Yeah. yeah so, spring yeah, it up. A good documentary that they tied in pretty good lead into the, you know, into the football season. But um, it was wild, you know, and people, you know, the best part for me was seeing people who didn't really fall me and you were dead in the middle of it. I mean, not only was yeah. it college football, which we love, but they were playing Alabama. So we were getting a belly full of that underdog love going into that game. I mean, we were dealing with that on a daily basis. So I'll never forget when it hit, he'd been catfished and it just dominated, dominated news, but it was a joy. I enjoyed the people who weren't really familiar with it. And that's what I love about these documentaries. I mean, they'll, they'll come in and, you know, it was like, you know, when they did the Jordan documentary, I would see people, but I see people our age going, man, Scottie Pippen was good. Damn, Dennis Rodman was wild. I was like, did you miss this whole era? How did you miss Dennis Rodman, Madonna, motorcycle, blonde hair, pink hair, tattoos, Jordan? How did you miss all of that? So I love documentaries bringing that up. Yeah. It, instead of a 30 for 30, it was like a 10 for tail, I guess you could yeah. say. And, and you're right. I give him credit for being just totally honest about the events of South Florida in January, 2013, because I was on the field in the pregame for the warmups with Alabama and Notre Dame before that game. And I saw Notre Dame's entire team get together out on the field in the pregame. And my thought was, where's the rest of them? 
Because just looking at their guys on the field in comparison to Alabama's guys, it, it Notre Dame looked like Navy or Army next to Alabama. Kind of like how Army and Navy, as you said, looks compared to Notre Dame. That's what Notre Dame looked like compared to Alabama at the field level. That was a large Alabama team, yes. And they were, you know, you know, Alabama fans, since you're usually the favorite, you're used to that underdog role. And, dude, we heard so much about Notre Urban Dame. Meyer. And that Urban was, Meyer in the pregame picking the Irish. That was that was just like we knew, like the odds of them beating them were pretty long. I mean, Alabama, every game, when your best wide receivers are tied in, when your best pass plays a junk ball against D. Miller or whoever, you're in trouble. I don't care if it's a six foot six tight end or not. Those are some athletic defensive backs. Great offensive line, great running game, season team. You know, Barrett shoving AJ. I mean, you could not have asked for a more. I mean, they got so bored they were fighting each other in that game. But that was the big hype. Hype. That was. I remember that was the big hype. Now there's games where it's definitely a big hype for Alabama with the national championship game. The Clemson games deserve the hype. The Georgia games deserve the hype. But I've never felt that particular Notre Dame. No, I never felt that was a team that should have been playing Alabama. But that because it was Notre Dame, that yeah, was the toughest they, ticket. They were back. You know, that was the back. toughest ticket of all of them that Alabama's played in. That was the the, the Irish nation um, showed up in force, and boy, did they not did they not get their money's worth? You mentioned Better Call Saul. I got to get in on it. I started to watch it when it first cranked up years ago. Um, I don't know. Maybe you you felt this way. It sounds like you might have. It just felt too soon for me on the heels of Breaking Bad. I just I couldn't go there yet, you know. No, I way too. No, like I said, you know, Breaking Bad ended so emotionally, you know, so it was hard to yeah. think about how you could go back and start before everything that would happen. And I like season one. That's the season I tried. I watched, but I never got into it. Let it stew for a while. Ended up watching the movie El Camino, which is the follow up to Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and with Jesse getting away, and then it sort of put me in the mood and. And then I dropped back and watched Better Call Saul. During COVID, you know, we had so much free time. There was a lot of shows that I hadn't watched. And um, so that, that was one of the ones I caught up on. I'm really glad I did. I'm going to use a music analogy. I know you're not a big uh, music guy, but see, Breaking Bad to me is the Grateful Dead. And then you got Better Call Saul, for me anyway, is Fish. And just because they're sort of the same genre, I guess, they're jam bands, uh, I'm not a big Fish fan. I don't have a problem with Fish, but I was around for Jerry Garcia era, Grateful Dead, okay? I saw the real thing. And so maybe I have some of that bias where Better Call Saul is concerned. But I'm like you. All I continue to hear are great, great things, and I know as soon as I immerse myself in it, I'm going to have the same reaction I've had to other shows. I'm I'm typically late to the party on these deals. So I'm going to say to myself, what the hell were you waiting on? I know that's going to happen. Uh, I think you look at it different. Like I look at the, I envy people who watch shows for the first time that I've seen ones like Sopranos. I'm watching it with my, my second son, Cade. And I love the fact I've seen them all several times. I love the fact he's never seen it. So there's mm-hmm. always that shock value. So there's some, uh, there's some, uh, there's a, you know, and not only that, you're going to watch it in a binge fashion as opposed to week by week by week. And, you know, once you get to that binge, you know, that you can binge and skip commercials. It's hard because this last season, 
we got taped off AMC, so I'm skipping fast forward through commercials. Everything else has been on um, has been on Netflix. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not all bad for you. I mean, there's something there to watch. Yeah, I, I like the documentaries too, though. I watched uh, the wife and I took in the uh, Princess Di doc there on HBO Max, 25th anniversary. Hard to believe of her passing. Um, well done. Uh, amazing her impact, not only in Britain, obviously, uh, but globally, uh, as we know, and uh, a lot of good options. But it is football season. It is absolutely football season. And with that, Tim, I wanted to play some one-word association with you where it relates to the SEC. Then we'll get more specific with this Alabama team. And what we'll do is – We'll start with, and we'll cover every team not named Alabama in the SEC because we're going to get Bama specific in a minute. Uh, let's start with Arkansas. One word association for Arkansas football under Sam Pittman going into year three. Suck at this game. I'm not a man of one word. Um, <laughs> uprise. I think they're on the. Up- yeah. I think Pittman, you know what? I think a lot of a program is just what you can get the people around you to do. I think mm-hmm. got them to buy in. I don't know if he's going to win 10 games or a national championship or anything consistently, but I think people buy in the excitement. The Arkansas fans, I know the ones I've seen, they love the guy. And considering the situation, fourth, fifth, sixth, I can't even remember how many coaches they went after. I know he loves that job. So really good situation. So definitely on the uprise. I like that one. I think that's perfect for Arkansas under Sam Pittman. I'll take Auburn and go with volatile. <laughs> you think just a little bit after this off season, after the attempted coup on uh, head coach, Brian Harson, And now you got the AD on his way out. I think it's his last day today, September the 1st. So uh, Auburn, I'll go volatile Tim. I just can't understand why this has happened. I mean, how many years in a row has it been? I mean, always, now, even before then, but Terry, you know, uh, Terry Bowden and the whole situation there and undefeated season, then he's out the door. And, and you know, how many times are they going to get on a jet and go, go try to steal somebody's coach or there's rumors of it? I just don't understand the constant turmoil around the program. Um, you know, not looking at it as an Alabama fan, but I mean, just there's constantly something going on. In this situation, you have the the, the AD are resigning, and then other people, other ADs calling them Auburn out yeah. as a terrible place to work. And that is definitely not what usually happens in this profession. Usually this profession is, you know, that profession is keep it pretty quiet. You know, we don't criticize our, uh, you know, others. These guys were just calling them out for being, you know, for being that situation. I personally can't understand it, but I think. How about, uh, how about the Florida Gators going into year one? with Billy Napier. I'll go with staffed. Uh, Billy's put together about a 200 person staff. It looks like, did you see the team picture for the Florida Gators? Uh, more staff members, I think in the photo than actual players. Uh, Billy's got a director for everything going in down there. And I, I know, look, he learned from Nick Saban, a lot of that, but, uh, what about you when it comes to Florida? Yeah, that's, that's, I would say the thing. I mean, I think they're going to be bright-eyed. I mean, we knew Billy. Billy was very patient. I mean, you saw him have success at uh, UL and um, uh, at Louisiana, and you saw several schools mentioned with him. And the one thing that I <clears throat> could confirm in all those coaching searches is Billy was not doing it any other than Sinatra. He was doing it his way. There was no 
if you don't meet this, I'm not coming. And he had some demands. Florida obviously felt that they could meet those. Obviously, Florida is a different beast than South Carolina in some, you know, a lot of ways. And um, some of the other schools that were involved with him, but Florida went all in, and it looks like he's got everything. I mean, he's got, you know, that you know, there's a lot of polos in that shirt, <laughs> in that in that team photo. I mean, so definitely a lot of lot of people out there. We knew he was going to be from Billy working at Alabama and Indiana at Clemson. We knew he's going to be thorough. That's probably the best word for Billy Napier. There's not going to be a lot that's going to miss him. He's going to have his, you know, regardless of whether he's successful or not, he's going to have a system in place for everything. And obviously I think Florida is always on the verge of being a good team. I think they're always going to get talent. I don't think recruiting is going to be an issue. So, you know, for me, the question is, can he take them to that next notch? Because I know they expect – Urban Meyer type results, and they should. I mean, it's Florida; it's a big name school. But how patient are they going to be with Billy, or how quick can Billy win? Kind of feel bad for Jim McElwain because it looks like Napier got what Jim McElwain probably wanted when he took over at Florida. You didn't have the new standalone Phyllis uh, facility that the Gators have just moved into, and they were essentially headquartered out of the stadium in terms of their facility and everything. When McElwain was there, uh, resources as far as staff size and commitment, uh, it looks like Billy's got the full the full green light from the uh, UF higher-ups going into his time there in Gainesville. University of Georgia, you know what I'll go with for the one word there with uh, Kirby Smart's team? I'll go with motivated, and I'll tell you why. Because this is a team that won the national championship and it's not a team you hear much about going into the season. I, I think it's a great situation for Kirby. Yeah, I'll go with content. I think okay. I'm not saying they're not going to be motivated. I don't think not. they're not going to try to win. I think there's a satisfaction there, and I can't blame them or the fans. probably very similar to 2009. You remember Alabama 2009 won that national championship next year, had some, some bad luck and some weird things happened, ended up losing three games. And I'm not saying that'll happen to Georgia – I'm not even sure who can beat them on their schedule, to be honest. I mean, looking at their schedule, I'd be surprised if they lost one, especially be surprised if they lost two. But I think they're content in the fact that they finally got to the mountaintop, and they should be. They should enjoy it. Um, these things are hard to win. <clears throat> you see the fan base is super excited. Um, but at the same time, you're right. When I look at following recruiting, when they miss a guy, their fans are still irate just like, you know, Alabama fans are. So I do think they're content having won a national championship after 40 years, but I do expect them to be a top four or five. I mean, it's hard for me not to include Georgia in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, I, just, I mean, the game against Kentucky in November right now, looks like the, the ticket they have to punch, doesn't it? Yeah, and there'll be, and there'll be tough games. I'm sure along the way there usually are for most teams, but this could very well be a very similar situation to, Alabama and Georgia last year where they could meet undefeated or one could have a loss. So it all depends on who wins that game and both of them getting in. We could be looking at a carbon copy of last year pretty easily. What about the Kentucky Wildcats on the heels of Mark Stoops and Cal getting after it a couple weeks ago there on the social media? I'll go, uh, I'll go undervalued Kentucky football under Mark Stoops. Yeah, with him, I'll go motivated. Like, I think that's a program that stays pissed off. And uh, they know they've got a lot of proof, lot to prove, even on their good seasons. Like you said, people almost forget they have good. They forget how hard it is to have a good season at Kentucky, the few and far between. But the job they've done, 
the consistency he's shown. Um, you can see, like you said, getting into it on uh, <laughs> getting into his social media. He's a he's a he's a feisty head coach, and I think his his team follows him and plays that way. LSU, we talk about teams maybe that haven't handled national championship success all that well. Well, the last couple of seasons for LSU, certainly not what that fan base would have hoped following the national championship in 2019. You look at Brian Kelly coming in there, Tim. I'll go dangerous with LSU because I don't see where much is being expected of Kelly's first team. But you being involved in recruiting as much as you are, for so many years, uh, don't you don't you see some uh, some potential at least there from a roster perspective? I just think in the case, you know, the SEC especially, there's schools like at Alabama's worst, and when they're playing their worst football under on probation or anything else, they still have guys that'll end up in the National Football League. I mean, you know, Alabama under Shula had one ten win season, but they did have Rolando McClain, they did have Andre Smith, guys that ended up being top 10, top eight picks in the draft or whatever. Florida's that way. LSU's that way. Georgia's that way. So LSU's definitely going to have some talent. They did recruit terribly. Now, they took some blows um, with the transfers. They took some blows with guys who left. And I'm not even talking about last year as much as I am the year before guys who left. And so they had a lot to go through. For me, it's going to be almost culture shock, I think. You go – how do you go from Ed Orgeron to Brian, you know, to, to Brian Kelly? How do you, how do you do that? I mean, is that, if you're a teenager, I mean, the, the vibe is so different and not drawing judgment on either of them, but they could not be polar, more polar opposites. So uh, from the way they dress, I mean, you saw Ed Orgeron was in gym shorts and a t-shirt and, you know, Brian Kelly probably sleeps in a tuxedo, his pajamas. So, I mean, they're so different. But definitely dangerous. Definitely got talent on that team. Gave Alabama a hell of a game last year. They had some competitive moments last year. So, you know, they've got some talent. Um, and they could be a team that, you know, gets you eight or nine wins pretty pretty convincingly. Obviously play a tough road. Um, and, you know, the one thing about Brian Kelly, he is a functioning coach. He's a very good coach. Put, you know, uh, Notre Dame in the position in the playoffs or on the verge of the playoffs Several times. I know their schedule wasn't great, but they played pretty well against regular season big name opponents. So I think he's a pretty good gamer and, uh, you know, certainly going to have his work cut out for him in the SEC where there's not really many bye weeks, you know, many easy games. Yeah, I think uh, LSU opens with Florida State and New Orleans Sunday night. I think LSU is going to rock Florida State in that game. I don't know about you. I think I think LSU is only favored by a couple points. I I just see them. I watched a little bit of Florida State and that opener against Duquesne, and I know it's Duquesne and what can you take from a game like that, but just looking at Florida State's players and that team, uh, that looks like more of the same for me where Florida State is concerned. I, I agree. I know the one thing we know, LSU is going to be physical. Yeah. They're going to, you know, they are going to be a physical football team. I mean, that's the, that's the, you know, the SEC defensive way. LSU's got a history of great defenses. Ryan Kelly's had several good, great, you know, several good defenses. So they're going to be physical. I don't think well, that's a great matchup for Florida State uh, right out of the gate. And I agree. I mean, Florida State had some. I mean, they obviously made some plays against a, you know, bad football team, and they probably are better than they were last year. But it wasn't significant enough to think mm-hmm. uh, here comes this run. You know, you didn't really get that vibe from them. Let's get into Ole Miss. One word association for Lane Kiffin's Rebels. I'm going to go fun because 
no matter whether the roster changes like it did to the uh, extent that it did for Ole Miss this offseason, Ole Miss goes to the transfer portal, uh, brings in guys like Zach Evans, Jackson Dart from USC, Michael Trigg, the tight end from USC. I, I think that this is still going to be a fun team to watch under Lane Kiff. Absolutely. I mean, Lane's sort of like watching a fantasy football coach live. You know, offense, his offense, like you said, he gets a big-time tight end, a guy I really liked out of high school that was at USC. He gets a big-time quarterback, you know, a guy that's got a good arm that can play. And he gets, you know, Zach Evans, who's a terrific running back, had a good year at TCU, obviously was a five-star. Alabama was involved with him. So he's basically just putting his fantasy players in play, and he's going to throw the ball. You know, you can make fun of to get the popcorn ready, but that's Lane's offense. He's going to throw the ball. means they're going to pass. Um, they're going to quick hit you. You know, if you drop seven, he's going to run, 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 run. You know exactly what's coming with Lane. But fun, that's a great, you know, that's a that's a great way to describe that offense. He's going to have fun with it. It's all about the dramatics, throwing the clipboard and the, the game sheet, holding his hands up for touchdowns and all that stuff. He's going to have fun with it. And those kids are coming out there to seven on seven. You know, give me do what you got to do on defense, but get you know figure it out. We want the ball back. We want to score. So definitely got some weapons. That that uh, portal was very good to them. Let's keep it moving in the SEC with the one word association. Mississippi State under Mike Leach going into year three of his tenure there in Starkville. Um, gosh, I'm trying to come up with the one word. Uh, I'd go quiet. Quiet. Okay. We not really had Mike. We just. Do you hear much about Mike Leach at Mississippi State? No. I mean, I heard about him at small schools like Washington State, and I was a Leach fan. I watched all of his games when he was coaching at Texas Tech and and uh, Washington State. I love to watch him play. I love the pregame. He's eating a banana, shaking the refs' hands. I loved all that. But we talked about Leach a lot. There was a lot of quotes about Leach on Twitter. He was always entertaining us. But when he got to Mississippi State, it's been kind of quiet, right? I just don't hear about him like I used to. You know, he had the, you know, maybe he got scared off. He said that he had the joke about the grandma uh, making a noose. You remember that? And she was going to kill, choke her husband or something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Yeah. He, there was such backlash. I don't know if he's ever been the same. That, that seems to have shut him down a little bit. That controversy you had there a, a short time back. Um, University of Missouri, as we move along here. Man, I just can't look at Eli Drinkwitz and not think about Rugrat from the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, dead ringer, the hair and everything else. But uh, I would say, I would say tenuous for Missouri under uh, Eli Drinkwitz. I, I think the guy's a good offensive coach. I think he's you know got a background of being successful on that side of the ball. But uh, I think it's a it's a big year for him in terms of showing he can get the job done there in Columbia. He's another one that's not scared. You know, he was out there, took several shots at Tennessee, um, you know, about the Jeremy Pruitt situation. And uh, a guy that's, you know, he's kind of chippy. So, I mean, you're going to have some guys that sort of like that about the SEC. We got a little bit of flavor now. You know, we got a little bit. You know, we lost Ed Orgeron, which stinks. He's always a great quote, soundbite. You know, I think people look back. Me, personally, I like guys like Ed Orgeron. He made me laugh. And I know he, you know, he pissed you off if you're playing against him, but he did things that make you laugh. So I like coaches that are a little chippy. 
I like you. I mean, it's hard. You really have to work hard not to give anybody bulletin board material now. You know, Saban's so old school that doing it, you know, and even he's, you know, had a few controversies with, with some of the stuff he said. But it's really hard not to give them something to, you know, talk about. So I think some of these coaches are taking advantage of it. I don't know if it's wise. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's wise, but, you know, he's a he's a guy that doesn't mind, like, pushing the envelope a little bit. South Carolina, one-word association for the Gamecocks. Shane Beamer takes SC to a bowl game in year one on the job, wins the bowl game in year one. Uh, man, when I think of South Carolina last year, especially, and even with Spencer Rattler coming in and some of the moves they made, via the transfer portal, I just think of a team that grinding going to have to continue to try to grind out wins with defense, special teams, and maybe a little bit of injection of playmaking ability and explosiveness with Rattler, their quarterback position. Yeah. I think enthusiasm. I mean, that guy's Mm -hmm. really, really wanted that job. And, uh, you know, feel like had people lobbying for him. He's really happy to have the job. He believes in that job. You can tell. Um, and, you know, that enthusiasm gets you in trouble, though, when you lose a game and you're still enthusiastic. I know last year he took some heat, but um, I, you know, I agree. I don't. You know, Spencer Rattler got a lot better when he transferred. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. I mean, Spencer was always a guy that was a little bit turnover prone and. And, uh, and had issues, but when I read about him now, maybe he's had a complete turnaround because that is not the guy they are describing that, that was at Oklahoma. So, um, uh, obviously going to be, you know, playing even better defenses or, or more talented defenses with, you know, in the SEC, but they definitely got some guys and they were definitely excited. They're having a good recruiting class, a uh, really good recruiting class. So I know there's a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm around that team. Tennessee Vols going into year two under Josh Heupel. Man, the word that comes to mind for me is optimism. It just seems like the fan base and media and a lot of folks are are high on this second team under Heupel. And I think it starts at the quarterback position and with the offense in general. But uh, we've seen this before, though, with Tennessee in, in the last 15 years or so, haven't we? Yeah, but, you know, I, I think dangerous. I think this is the one that's dangerous mm-hmm. because I think this guy can coach. I think this guy has, offensively especially, I think he's going to push the boundaries. I think he's capable of finding a weakness. Uh, we you know, we saw that last year. He certainly had some games offensively where you could tell the Tennessee talent level wasn't where it needed to be. I mean, lost a lot of guys, uh, you know, you know, had guys, a lot of guys transfer when Pruitt was fired. Had a lot of kids, you know, kids that, you know, didn't sign the recruiting class wasn't great. So he's a couple of classes behind from a talent standpoint. Um, but, I mean, I thought the guy could coach. I thought he he was fun. I thought they made big plays. They took shots down the field and they challenged you. So I would expect them to be even better this year. I think they're a team that's going bowling for sure. Texas A&M. What do you got for Jimbo Fisher there? One word association. For the Aggies going into the season, wilding, <laughs> wilding. They are wilding. Jimbo spent a summer. I mean, I mean, it's been interesting to see Jimbo Fisher so vocal. You know, he went from you know mad at Saban, and then we're done, and then no, that's fine. That's just brothers fighting, and you know, which it was publicly, but it is just a disagreement. 
um, that probably got blown over, you know, you know, hit home. I'll never forget the impromptu <laughs> press conference saying, why are we talking about it? <laughs> a press conference, but, so that was exciting. Obviously beat Alabama last year, had the you know number one recruiting class in the country last year. So, uh, so many rumors, everything that's going on. Uh, I know they have to be ready to, to play football after a long, long off season, but it seems like it's wild down there. The expectations are wild. You have their reporters going in there to ask Will Anderson lame-ass questions and go home and giggle about it with his wife, I guess. I mean, it's 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 wild in College Station right now. So probably a lot of excitement, too, obviously. Team that has to, you know, they feel has to have a chance. I mean, they keep going back to beating Alabama. They didn't lose four games. I don't know if anybody knows uh, and then didn't show up for the bowl game. Yeah, absolutely. Could have been five easy. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So they did. You know, you can get that. You can be that team. It's only going to get beating Alabama's only going to get you so far as Hugh Freeze noticed. And I'll uh, go. Yeah, I, I think what you're getting to is what my word would be, Leary of A uh, and M. I, I need to see it, and, and not just against Alabama. I think if you're you're Alabama. You're a little leery of what this A&M team can present to you in terms of a challenge there. Uh, it's a very capable team. No one's arguing otherwise. But uh, I thought it was interesting that Jimbo's going with Haynes King at quarterback, Tim. I thought based on how this team is ready right now to compete for championships, I thought Max Johnson would have been the safer choice. Um, but he loves him some Haynes King, apparently a talented dude. Didn't get to see a lot of them last year because of the uh, the injury early in the season. What about Vanderbilt? One word association. I got one for you. Undefeated, baby. One and oh, Tim. After thumping my Rainbow Warriors last Saturday night out in Oahu. I have to be honest. I am not sure Hawaii can win seven <laughs> of the Alabama State Championship. They wouldn't win the region that has Thompson, oh, Hoover. I- Yes, are you kidding? You're like, what is it? Hewitt Trust? I mean, what are you? They back? wouldn't win that. No. Let's go back to when Bama played They're there. Bad. Other teams have played there. They've had. Oh yeah. They had teams that were competitive. That was. Yeah. That is not. That has. No. Hawaii has to be in the contention for the worst college football team in the country. They have to be. That was just a not. You know, Vanderbilt did what they were supposed to do, though. To their credit, they went out mm-hmm. and made plays, and they attacked, and they did all those things. Um. All those things. I got a couple of friends to call uh, Clark Lee Dr. Evil, and I cannot get it out of my mind once they started doing that. It drives me crazy. They say it every time. It drives me crazy. Dr. Evil instead of Dr. Evil. There you go. This is an off season where he said <clears throat> Vanderbilt can be the best team in the country. So, I mean, you start. <laughs> well, he didn't say what. He didn't say what level. He, he might have meant B3 for all we know, right? right? Maybe he meant the whole best team in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii say champs. Yeah. Is boom. So um, I think it's a team long way to go. Obviously, I mean, Vanderbilt has its limitations with recruiting. I know how they recruit. I mean, they've got a guy we worked with for, for 15 yeah. years. Martin Simmons is over there helping with recruiting. So we're very familiar with that program. Companies, all of our companies are always based in Nashville and Brentwood. So I'd like to see Vanderbilt be competitive. But I always go back to Vanderbilt. Remember the year – that they beat somebody and everybody, the national media, who are a bunch of sheep, literally, you can tie them together and walk them through the mall. They all have to share the same brain. 
Vanderbilt played somebody before they played Alabama. Do you remember this? And all yeah, the- well, and the defensive tackle for Vandy at the end of the broadcast yeah. basically said, bring it or something. Yes, yes. and they, Alabama don't want it. And then yeah. Alabama ran for about well, 500 yards on Vandy the next week. I started seeing these hot takes like, oh, damn, you better watch it. So I, <laughs> we went and cut all those snips and added it to a uh, – a, uh, I said, go ahead and get the slideshow ready. That's when we're doing slideshows. I'm about to embarrass these guys. And they Alabama just absolutely mauled them. I mean, mm-hmm. first, it was in Vanderbilt, and everybody kept making that part of it was a big deal. And then when the crowd, you rolled in, the, you saw the stadium, there was more Alabama fans than Vanderbilt fans. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Field. so Vanderbilt's obviously got a lot to go with. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I'd like to see them be competitive. But then again, they're good at baseball, so. They're yeah, that's that's what the GPA and baseball. That's their that's their roles in the league. Basketball, so football wise, they're on their own. Absolutely, and they have well, they do have a hell of a bowling team too. In all seriousness, they uh, they do bowl. They bowl ex- exceptionally well. Hey, um, so there you go. One word association for SEC teams not named Alabama. We're going to get into some Crimson Tide talk specifically. Coming up here in just a little bit, I wanted to ask you about Alabama players, Alabama alums, where the NFL is concerned, Tim. And what we'll do is there's so many of these guys, right? There's like five dozen or so in the uh, National Football League these days. What I'm going to ask you for is biggest winner among UA alums going into the 2022 NFL season. And then we'll ask you for a biggest loser for the off season heading into the upcoming season. And I'll say, man, for me anyway, a biggest winner going into the season anyway, I don't know how I can look at anybody else other than Tua given everything that's happened down there. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that, but I'd also say, I mean, the odds Jerry Judy didn't hug Russell Wilson Really oh, yeah. hard when he saw him or very slim For sure. because, you know, Judy's been injured. He hasn't played in ideal situations. He had the four or five drop game and now he's getting the quarterback. They'll stick it in your pocket. Read this morning before we started. I think he signed a $245 million deal. Russell Wilson is. So it's a chance for Jerry Judy to shine. You know what I mean? It's a chance get to get paid play. himself. Yeah. But you can't argue with two. I mean, two has got Waddle. Who's the guy he wanted. You had Tyree Hill, who is the most dangerous guy on the football field. I would debate anybody. And he's got a head coach that actually wants him to play quarterback for the Dolphins. That seems to help too, right? Yeah, that was big. I mean, I never understood. You what know, the hell was that with Brian Flores, man? I just think with the NFL, you know, and I've been dealing. It took me a while when I first got in this business to kind of figure out, like, it's they're not always on the same team. I mean, they not. You have an NFL coach who wants one thing. And then you got a general manager who works for the owner. And they're not always, you know, you kind of think of it because we cover college football. You kind of think of them as Alabama the way the Alabama does it. You know, they do it from position to area, area to position, to coordinator, to head coach. I mean, you got guys like that signing off and the whole group, you know, watching their positions and moving on up. So you kind of would have thought the coaches and the general manager would be on the same page. But the scouts are actually employed by the general manager. And I'll never forget it. I read a story with Bill Cowher, the great Steelers coach, and they said he hated the scouts so much. They were employed by the Steelers, of course, uh, separately, not in, not employed by uh, Cowher. So they would um, 
come in and they'd argue for a guy and he would argue them down and flip their opinion on the guy. And the next day he would like the guy that he had changed their mind on as just yeah. an act of like, didn't trust him, didn't like him, just pure. The, so you got a lot of that happening. So you got a head coach that maybe didn't want to draft to a, you got a general manager or an owner who did want to draft to a, um, very weird situation. I feel bad too. Has had one of the strangest careers between, you know, busting out on second and 26 is the most, you know, the most popular man in all of the world for weeks at a time. I mean, everybody was talking about him to the injuries, you know, never, never really getting back to that national championship. You know, we thought he was a Heisman guy and, you know, the injuries ended that he goes to Miami, you know, he's still a little ding, not a hundred percent. He's got a coach that doesn't like him. And, uh, you know, there's, there's that constant drama. So you're, you're, you know, Judy's definitely a candidate for me. Kenyon Drake's another one who got out of that Raider, that weird Raider. That's, that's where we're going with our biggest losers. I think here in a second, I mean the Raiders. Yeah. I mean the Raiders, any, any Alabama player that's been drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders are picked up by the Raiders other than Lester Cotton. Looks like big Lester is in great shape to to maybe be a starter, I guess, this season after going undrafted a few years back. I don't think he helped uh, helped our boy Alex Leatherwood at all. No, no. With Cotton at guard, they didn't really need to move well, Alex in there, did they? And he, and he took him rather cheap. But, you know, it's more – when he comes to the Raiders, it's way more than the Alabama guys. I mean, I think they cut every single person. Mike that Mayock. They, they, well, I don't know what to say all of them, but I do know that, like, Henry Ruggs obviously is a play, and their other first rounder was the uh, Ohio State defensive back Arnett. The safety um, from Mississippi State, they didn't pick up the fifth year on. Josh, they didn't pick up the fifth year on. I mean, right? yes, and I mean it's yeah. Uh, they didn't pick up it on Farrell either, right? No, nope. the, uh, the that's their Jalen so, Farrell from Clemson. Yeah, nineteen first round picks. They had three. They didn't pick up the fifth year on any. Their 2020 first-round picks, Rudds and Arnett, neither are on the team. And their first-round pick in 2021, Alex Leatherwood's been cut. So these jackasses have had six first-round picks over three years, and none of them are on the team three years later. So I would say that's a rare problem. And then again, you know, and I, you know, I loved Mike Mayock on the NFL Network. Uh, I love the way he explained the game and everything. But you don't hire – you know, you don't hire an ESPN analyst and the NFL guy to run. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like hiring me and you to run a team, basically. Just Jim hire Mel Kuyper. Shit. You know? Yeah, I mean, it was just, and all, you know, also, I mean, it was, you know, they felt, they were adamant. They knew more than everybody else. And, you know, when you think that, when you're opposed to everybody else's opinion, you're either the smartest guy in the room or you're the dumbest guy in the room. But well, they were the dumbest guy in the room. So. They got it right with Hunter Renfro, baby. He's a he's a monster. Even in the NFL, you can't stop that guy. It's <laughs> crazy, man. I mean, it's his route running. I don't get. Yeah. It. Well, you know, you go back to that national championship game in Glendale where he and Minka went against each other as I think freshmen. That was a hell of a showdown. I mean, oh. you, you talk about two future stars, one that you sort of anticipated, the other certainly not nearly as much. But how about the careers both those guys? Um, Absolutely. have gone on to. You know who I worry about, though, for Al- from the Alabama perspective going into this season, too, Tim? Mac Jones. Because Bill Belichick is officially in the I-do-not-give-a-crap mode. With that offensive coordinator non-situation, Matt Patricia, 
The former defensive coordinator is your play caller. I don't understand why they did that. I don't know. I worry for Matt, and there's not a lot around him either, Tim. Well, they acted like they were going to get some guys around. You know, people talk like Brady didn't have talent around him. Brady had two of the best tight ends in the Two words, Rob Gronkowski. And Aaron Hernandez for yeah. multiple years. They didn't have, uh, you know, your, your, and also don't forget Randy Moss. Yeah, they did go get him some dudes on the outside, too. Yeah, At no, least I, they tried. You I, know. I thought the Patriots, who were on the verge, I mean, I know, I know Belichick's going to be Belichick, you know, but I thought the Patriots were on the verge of, with this draft really pushing a little bit, but you're right. They've changed the offense. Mac don't look as comfortable. Uh, the team doesn't look as comfortable. Hell, the defense doesn't look no. we're used to seeing with the, uh, with the defense. So that's a, that's a good one too. But you know, you don't have to dust, you know, I know Mac lost some weight. He'll be, you know, he'll be, uh, he'll be chippy. So he's going to be a guy that's used to winning that wants to win. But you know, when they, when you continue to see, I'm looking at now. They took a second round wide receiver from Baylor, and they took a fourth round running back, and they took a fourth round quarterback. You've so. already got Damian Harris there. Yeah, so I just, I just don't know. I don't. Wide receiver was an issue, and I just don't feel like they addressed it a whole lot. But then again, I mean, we've we've worried about the Patriots before, and you know they've turned out all right. So. It looks like they got it right with Christian Barmore. We do know that. And yeah, you know, still got Anthony Jennings up there. You know how much we love Christian, and we, you know, he never really hit his peak at Bam. I mean, he certainly showed the flashes. And then NFL, I don't think, you know, and I, I reported it back then. I don't think he interviewed particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, a Philly kid, a little bit different. I think teams felt he was flippant, um, but you know, I never felt that. I felt he was just maturing. You know, with Christian, I just felt that like. He was a little. He was a little bit more immature, even though know, for an eighteen-year-old, I just think he was maturing at a little slower rate, and uh, still was a kid. And I mean, he's obviously taking it serious enough now that he's doing a great job. We wrap up the NFL talk, man. Have you seen these damn mascots at the halftime of these preseason games playing full speed against these nine-year-olds? Yeah, and I think it was a Ravens mascot, maybe last Saturday night that blew out his ACL or her ACL. Going, I'm just saying, not even thudding with these nine-year-olds, dude. Full to the ground. And I know this because I went to a preseason game a couple of Saturday nights ago, and they bring out this Pop Warner team. And it's like, oh, cool. We're going to, you know, we're going to have some of that halftime Pop Warner action. Well, it ends up being a team of mascots that they're playing against. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's just going to be, you know, giggles type football. No, 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 no. This little Pop Warner team ran a sweep on its first play and this mascot comes across horse collars, this kid and slings him about five yards in the air for about a five yard loss. It was on Tim from that point forward. I don't understand what the hell is going on. Like I, even like, <laughs> I mean, like at the Braves game, they had the guy that always raced everybody. Well, once he lost, it lost its luster. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? He, he should have faked a hamstring, right? Or something. That way you could keep it going. He, he was hurt. They should have told him, look, if you see you're going to lose, pull up, lame or something, you know? Yeah, if you lose, it's over. That's the whole trick. You know, it's, yeah. it's, now, the only mascots I really like are the uh, – I like the races where it's like the Home Depot tools. <laughs> yeah. And they're racing. They're like the screwdrivers against the hammer. They're shoving each other. I don't know why they're playing kids. I mean, 
I grew up with the San Diego chicken, man, and that set the bar so high, too high that nothing could ever, even the Philly fanatic back in the day, right? I mean, those were the goats. They made the all-star team. They were at the all-star games. (laughs) Like, why the hell were they at an all-star game not in their city? It's unbelievable. That's how good they were. That's how funny they were. There were parents at this preseason game I attended a couple weeks ago. While this was unfolding, you could see the coaches for that Pop Warner team and some of the parents that accompanied the team down on the field, they were getting pissed. Like it it I don't think it was disclosed to them that okay, it's full full contact, full speed with these grown ass adult mascots. And so, you know, the mascots were trying to win this little simulated game at the end. And one of the mascots throws a pass into the end zone. A parent comes off the sideline and breaks it up on the last play of the, the scrimmage there. It's the damnest, one of the damnest things I've ever seen at an NFL game. Yeah, well, I mean, you get a parent involved, it's taking it to the next level. I've never, <laughs> I never forgot to play soccer, but we were at the soccer in Pelham. And uh, one of the dads, they were just getting their, you know, the seven or eight-year-old soccer's like, Mm-hmm. Three to seven scores. Like they son, can get out of hand, yeah. My youngest son played on the team in Alabaster. It was absolutely great, and they would beat the crap out of everybody. But we didn't really keep score, so the kids really were just celebrating. Oh, but the parents are. We you know that. Us, but nobody was calling it out. But we were in Pella when I was a kid. I was probably seven or eight, and the dad ran out and kicked the ball out of the goal. And <laughs> I, and was, I mean, he had had a damn nuff. Well, there was no That's some Will Ferrell shit. Right there. there. That's exactly what he <laughs> ran out and just kicked that ball hard as crap over. You know, that you know in soccer there's twenty fields in a row. So yeah. Down there and I heard a dad say what the F and I looked, Danny I looked, McBride. Yeah. Like ten grown men in a pile. Most were breaking <laughs> it up. And nobody was really they were just shocked. I'd never seen him. Oh, love he it. Kicked the crap out of that ball. The parents started getting heated and all bets are off. As we well, know, the scene's about to change, you know. Oh, yeah. Hearing stuff like, do your job or elbow. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 My kid it, did it. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cubs, get your wife and kids in the car. Let's go. Oh, um, we got Alabama, Utah State, obviously, Saturday night at Bryant Denny Stadium, the 2022 season opener in Tuscaloosa. For a change, no neutral site this season. Alabama, of course, going to Texas. In a week's time, uh, that should be very interesting out in Austin. But specific to the opener, Tim, give me some players slash areas of particular interest for you where this Alabama team is concerned. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of concern, to be honest with you. I mean, for me, it's always about watching the new guys. I'm a newcomer. I want to see the new guys. You know, I already know, love, obviously, love Will Smith. I mean, Will Anderson, Tim Smith, two guys. I'm really excited about seeing him playing. But, I mean, I want to see Jaheim Otis, a guy that I watched in high school and evaluated. And and um, I really want to see what he can do. I mean, obviously, this guy's a little different. The weight loss has been unbelievable. Uh, you've seen his transformation. But, you know, we talked about him during recruiting, how much we loved him. I knew I loved him when he kicked off. And yeah. at the start of a game and ran down the field, I said, this is my guy. <laughs> you know, this is my guy. Kicking off, running down the field at 380, you know, pushing four bills. So really excited about that the offense. Kobe Prentice, a guy, you know, running with the ones, extremely, extremely happy for that guy. You know, we 
You know, we had to deal with that in the summer where he was a no star and he was committed to Maryland. He went to Alabama's camp. Alabama offered, made a you know, made a push. He had people saying Bama's missing on their top guys. They weren't missing on their top guys. It was a tremendous evaluation. Um, landed a guy really talented, just absolutely tore that camp up. So seeing him, I mean, obviously for me, the position group is the offensive line. You know, I was like others, you know, felt that like they probably didn't do as well last year as we're used to seeing. But, you know, I think Wolf, I think this new offensive line coach is, I think they're going to react to the way he is. And I mean, he's a very aggressive, you know, you know, put your hands on him, put your helmet on him and, you know, move, you know, move, make a hole. So I think that's going to be, and of course the defense, I mean, seeing a lot of these young guys and, uh, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry in his second year and veterans coming back. I'm excited about Terry and Arnold, the athlete we love. I really love. So me in a game like this, I just want it to be a blowout early so I can watch the other guys get into the second half, which is something, you know, we haven't seen as much of in the last few years as, as I would have liked. One was the COVID year, obviously, where every game was an SEC game and, you know, just sort of ran with that one, you know, that one, you know, that their 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 little cut of roster that they played with. But this year, I think you're going to be able to see other guys get in there and, and do some things. What about on the recruiting front? We know Alabama at 21 commitments for the class of 2023, the cycle of 2023. Um, Tim, why did you turn the damn uh, commitment faucet off? You know, it was uh, flowing pretty freely there for a while, and then you you obviously decided that uh, you're just going to shut it off here for a while. Edrick Hill, though, here in the last week or so, a nice pickup. We kid, but literally there's going to be people wondering if the recruiting <laughs> is slacking. I mean, Alabama to me, and I love it, but for, you know, especially under Saban, every year is the same. It is literally the same. It's that they have the June camps. They have the pushes. They fill a lot of their class. And then August gets here. They focus on football. They're going to work the middle of the state, the season, and then they will uh, get towards November, December, and try to finish off most of that class and have a couple guys left for that late period. So, I mean, it comes in waves. You know, we have very quiet. Remember this year again, February to April or Mar- May, March to April, March to May, that area, we were like, what's going on? Did he forget how to recruit again? And then June comes here, class goes to number one. Um, far from you know determining who's number one, Georgia's going to have a good class. Ohio State's having a good class. Notre Dame's got a top two class. Texas A&M will come on at the end. So you got a lot of guys and you know teams still in contention that could go either way. You know you know depending on who they get to get them to that number one class. But Alabama's going to have a great group. That's that's the one thing I feel confident with. Filled a lot of holes already. Still working on the defensive line. Well, they like you said, Edward Hill jumped on board, so they got Edward Hill, Hunter Osborne. Still want to add three there, but they've got five offensive linemen who are monsters. They are monsters on the offensive line. You got skilled players all over. You got Caleb Downs, who safety from Georgia, who I think I don't, and I'm, I don't think you rank a safety number one based on our criteria. Don't get me wrong, because we try to be the first round, the five star, the five stars based on the first round picks. But Caleb's as good as a football player as anybody in this class at any position. And you know how much I love Minka. Minka's always been my bell cow for the, you know, you know, play three years, win a championship, go first round, and he did that. And I think Caleb's as talented as Minka is. Or Minka, you know, Minka is. You mentioned skill players. Um, from an official visit perspective, it looks like 
maybe just one of those on uh, this weekend with Jalen Hale, I guess, the wide receiver from Longview, Texas, a four-star top 60 overall prospect for the 2023 cycle and uh, top 10 receiver, according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Yeah, Jalen's a heck of a football player. Came from Alabama unofficially. We've heard talk that Alabama is really in contention here. Uh, hard to get a player out of Texas right now. I think Texas and Texas A&M are certainly trying to circle the wagon and keep those guys at state. Both are active with the NILs too. So obviously, you know, strong schools and you know, you know, obviously both going to be in the SEC. So both of them are battling. I think Texas is more the one people expect him to, but also know he loved his unofficial visit. A little bit different kid, beats to his own drum. So Alabama's, you know, taking that chance before he commits, roll him out there, roll out the red carpet, I mean, for him and let him see, you know, the best they have to offer. All right, let's head to the BOL mailbag here on the Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer and Tim Watts. JLR checks in first, Tim, and he wants to know which, I'm going to guess, commitment he's, he's actually saying here. Do you think gets the biggest bump in the rankings before it's all said and done? You know, I don't want to predict who's going to get a bump because I don't want to be real, you know, some uh, any part of them not getting the bump. I know who should get the biggest bump at 24-7 is Yonze Pierre, um, defensive end from Ufala. I mean, he's other people have got him, you know, in the top 60, top 70 range. I think he's a composite top 100 guy. He got a recent bump from low low to mid three star to top 200 uh, on uh, on our on our network. But, I mean, this guy's fantastic. If he's not a top 100 player, I don't know who he is. He's got that energy. He's got that burst. He dominates games. Uh, he's not just a guy. You know, a lot of times you see an edge guy, and it's sack or nothing. This guy's chasing plays down from behind. He's involved in the run. Just a really great football player who I'm very high on. Jared Burns checks in here in the mailbag. Gun to head. Dang. It's kind of uh... – it's kind of tough, Jared. Gun to our head, Tim. What's more likely, Pierre earning a fifth star or Alabama landing Damon Wilson? Gun to your head. I got a gun to my head on this one, Jared. Yeah. Jeez. Jeez. Well, I would definitely say landing Damon Wilson because I do not think Pierre, currently ranked 200, is close to being top 32. Um, Damon Wilson is an edge guy recruiting from Florida. Recruitment's very quiet. Alabama's definitely in it to some degree, but then again, when a guy's very quiet, you know, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, it's hard to, you know, hard to figure out what he's doing this early. Now, as he approaches his decision, probably have a little more intel, but that's definitely a gun to the head question. Otherwise, I wouldn't have answered it. That's Zach. <laughs> Zach underscore F, he's a little more uh, subtle in how he goes about it. No guns to your head or our heads this time. But he does have an over-under. Two and a half games before Tyler Harrell is heavily involved in the wide receiver rotation, Tim. Now, he's been dealing with an injury, as we know, a lower extremity injury. So kind of makes it tough to sort of guesstimate where uh, his biggest impact might start to show up. but. Zach is asking if at two and a half games, I would probably go over that um, because I think if he isn't heavily involved this week, 
then there's a good chance he may not be heavily involved for the plan when you're going to go on the road to Texas. Um, and, and then I could see it maybe, maybe a little later in the month, Vanderbiltish into October, perhaps. I don't know. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I'll go over. I think that, you know, you set that rotation. I think the first two, uh, you know, first couple of games have kind of been mapped out. I think that depth chart's pretty much for the first couple of games for the most part, or the guys you feel most comfortable with. So I'd go over. Um, as far as being a major contributor, I still right. think regardless with his skill set, I don't even think it matters if he knows <clears throat> the offense or anything. I think you can find a post for this guy to run. <clears throat> also, he can impact the game as being a decoy because when he's mm-hmm. on the field, you got to deal with this guy, you know. Um, so I think he'll be involved with the game plan. Heavily, I would lean to over two and a half games, probably more towards the middle of the season. And finally, Ronnie Bismuth in the uh, roundtable mailbag here. Let's say four to five games into the season. Who is getting the most playing time at weak side linebackers? So essentially, Ronnie's asking four or five games in the season. Maybe you're going to Arkansas on October 1st. Is it Jalen Moody, the veteran at weak side linebacker, or is it Deontay Lawson, the second-year player, that's more of a factor there at the will? And I hate this position because I love the three guys there. I love Moody, I love Walt Lawson, and I love Campbell. I've been wanting to see Moody. You know, obviously, a guy played around the ball. Uh, he's around the ball when he's in the game. I liked him out of high school. It was a really good evaluation. I felt when they were looking for a late backer. Uh, I think he stayed for a reason. I think he stayed because he's going to play. I think Nick Saban probably told him that. Um, but there, I just you, I, I just don't think you can keep Deontay Lawson off the field. And Jihad Campbell, I mean, I don't know if anybody looks better on a football field than Jihad. When you're watching those clips Charlie Potter posts, when Jihad comes through, you know it's Jihad Campbell. And you know how much we were high. You know, obviously he's got a long road to – you know, you know, learning stuff and, you know, getting where he needs to be. But all those three guys, I think it's the most competitive position considering all three really have fantastic potential. I mean, physically Lawson and Campbell are ideal. What you're looking for, Moody's just, I think it's just going to be a good football player. So I would expect Moody to get the most playing time. But I think those other guys can rotate in um, or you can see him at times off the edge. I mean, you certainly can put, you know, Jaheed Campbell off the edge, but I would expect Moody to, to lock that up, you know, you know, for the first half of the year. Yeah, I think we can both see a future where the inside linebackers start with Deontay Lawson and Jihad Campbell, right? A year from now. That's yes. not all that difficult to envision because Henry Toa Toa is going to be moving on. Jalen Moody's going to be moving on. But I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stick with Jalen Moody, the veteran. Um, but certainly – you know, with Lawson there, there's a comfort level already that if you want to plug him in there for even Henry at the mic, I think they feel like they can do that. And uh, he's really good in coverage, Deontay Lawson. So uh, even in some passing down situations, if you wanted to do that with him, you could as well. That's the mailbag. We appreciate everyone for checking in there and helping us out. Offering up some questions on the latest edition of T. Watts and TR on the BAM Online Podcast. And with that, Tim, we're just about a wrap here. I'm going to let you get back to it and uh, we can get ready for some college football tonight. 
tonight, Tim. We will have this discussion. We'll have a further discussion after the uh, after all the games this weekend. We'll have some good lead into Texas discussion. Post mm-hmm. Notre Dame, Ohio State. I'm excited about that game. Um, See, I think Ohio State's going to drag Notre Dame. I don't know. I just yeah. I don't. They're 18 point favorites. I yeah. would I would certainly agree with you. I mean, the last time. You know, we saw Notre Dame, you know, the new head coach and all that stuff, so the kids will play hard. But, I mean, Ohio State's offense is going to be definitely potent. I mean, they got Stroud, who I think is an excellent quarterback. He's right there with Bryce for me as far as talented guys when you look at the NFL. But I, I do think we're about to learn a lot about Marcus Freeman in this game. Yeah. You know, obviously having a good recruiting class. He's lost a guy or two and maybe lose a couple more, but still doing the right things recruiting-wise. Is he gonna lose? He's well. He's lost Keon Keeley, right? Already decommitted. Yeah, that was a big one. I mean, he'd been committed for a while, but then again, I mean, the guy committed to a different. You can go ahead and tell us Keon Keeley's going to Alabama, and I won't. I won't say anything. I won't tell anybody, Tim. No, I don't know what. I think the kid's going to be wide open. You know, he committed so early as a junior. I don't think he went through any of the real process. Uh, so I think he's. You know, he's taking visits to Ohio State, Bama, Florida. So I think he's going to go through the process, but obviously Alabama played a big role in him decommitting. He had a great visit there. The river started, you know, it was the first place he visited um, <clears throat> from his decommitment, basically. So, I mean, he he his he had taken a visit to Alabama that led to his decommitment. So obviously yeah. Alabama's involved there. Yeah, man, we'll do it. Uh, we'll do it again after this weekend. Reconvene. Uh, look at what we saw and, and talk about what's coming up with Alabama making that trip to Austin. Appreciate it, Tim. Appreciate it. See you guys on the round table. The round table. That's where you need to hang out with us. The premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the world right there at BamaOnline.com. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online podcast, we hope you'll do so. And while you're there, if you'd leave us a rating and a review that would help us out tremendously as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the BOL podcast. And until next time, so long, everybody. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.